Thank you for downloading this episode of A History of the World in 100 Objects from BBC Radio 4. So far in this history of the world through things, we've encountered all kinds of objects, all eloquent, but not all particularly valuable or attractive. But today's object is, in any view, a great work of art. It's a head cast in brass. It's quite clearly the portrait of a person, but we don't know who. It's without question by a very great artist, but we don't know who. And it must have been made for a ceremony, but we don't know what. What is certain is that the head is African, it's royal, and it epitomises the great medieval civilizations of West Africa of about 700 years ago. It was one of a group of heads discovered in 1938 in the grounds of a palace in Ife, Nigeria, and they astonished the world with their beauty. They were immediately recognised as supreme documents of a culture that had left no written record, and they embody the history of an African kingdom that was one of the most advanced and urbanised of its day. The sculptures of Ife exploded European notions of the history of art and they forced Europeans to rethink Africa's place in the cultural history of the world. Today, they play a key part in how Africans read their own narrative. We still don't know much about the African past. What we know right now is a fraction of what is yet to be discovered. Personally, I look at it and I'm struck by its tranquility, its upward gaze. It's not just a tranquility of power, it's a tranquility of being in an inner sanctum, almost. A history of the world in a hundred objects. Ife Head. A bronze statue from Nigeria probably 15th century. I'm in the Africa Gallery looking at the Ife head. Or rather, he is looking at me. His head's a little smaller than life-size and made of brass which is now darkened with age. The shape of the face is an elegant oval covered with finely incised vertical lines, but it's a facial scarring so perfectly symmetrical that it contains rather than disturbs the features. He wears a crown, a high beaded diadem with a striking vertical plume projecting from the top, and that's still got quite a lot of the original red paint. This is an object with extraordinary presence. The alert gaze, the high curve of the cheek the lips parted as though about to speak, all these are captured with absolute confidence. To grasp the structure of a face like this is possible only after long training and meticulous observation. There's no doubt that this represents a real person. But this is reality not just rendered, but transformed. The details of the face have been generalised and abstracted to give an impression of repose. Standing face to face with this brass sculpture, I know that I'm in the presence of a ruler imbued with the high serenity of power. When Ben Okri, the Nigerian-born novelist, 
looks at the Ife head, he sees not only a ruler, but a society and a civilization. Personally, it has the effect on me that certain sculptors of the Buddha has. The presence of tranquility in a work of art speaks of a great internal civilization. Because you can't have the tranquility without reflection. You can't have the tranquility without having asked the great questions about your place in the universe and having answered those questions to some degree of satisfaction. And that, for me, is what civilization is. The idea of black African civilization on this level was, quite simply, unimaginable to a European a 100 years ago. In 1910, when the German anthropologist Leo Frobenius found the very first brass head in a shrine outside the city of Ife, he was so overwhelmed by its technical and aesthetic assurance that he immediately associated it with the greatest art that he knew, the classical sculptures of ancient Greece. But what possible connection could there have been between ancient Greece and Nigeria? There's no record of contact in the literature or in the archaeology. For Frobenius, there was an obvious and exhilarating solution to the conundrum. The lost island of Atlantis must have sunk off the coast of Nigeria and the Greek survivors stepped ashore to make this astonishing sculpture. It's easy to mock Frobenius, but at the beginning of the 20th century, Europeans had very limited knowledge of the traditions of African art. For painters like Picasso, Nolde or Matisse, African art was Dionysiac exuberant and frenetic, visceral and emotional. But the restrained, rational, Apollonian sculptures of Ife clearly came from an orderly world of technological sophistication, sacred power and courtly hierarchy, a world in every way comparable with the historic societies of Europe and Asia. And as with all great artistic traditions, the sculptures of Ife present a particular view of what it means to be human. Babatundi Lawal, Professor of Art History at Virginia Commonwealth University. Frobenius, around 1910, assumed that maybe the survivors of the Greek lost Atlantis might have made these heads. And he predicted that if a full figure were to be found, the figure would reflect the typical Greek proportion, say about the head constituting about one-seventh of the whole body. But when a full figure was eventually discovered at Ife, the head was just about a quarter of the body, you know, complying with the typical proportion characterizing much of African art, you know, the emphasis on the head because it is the crown of the body, the seat of the soul, the site of identity, perception and communication. So it's perhaps not surprising that nearly all of the Ife metal sculptures that we know, and there are only about 30, are heads. In 1938, an astonishing group of 13, including the one now at the British Museum, was dug up in the precincts of a royal palace at Ife. The quality of the brass casting was superb, and there could be no doubt now that this was a totally African tradition. The Illustrated London News of April the 8th, 1939, published the find. And in an extraordinary article, the writer, still using the racist language of the 1930s, recognises that what he calls the Negro tradition, a word then associated with slavery and primitivism, must, 
with the Ife sculptures now take its place in the canon of world art. Negro could never again be used in quite the same way. One does not have to be a connoisseur or an expert to appreciate the beauty of their modelling, their virility, their reposeful realism, their dignity and their simplicity. No Greek or Roman sculpture of the best periods, not Cellini, not Udon, ever produced anything that made a more immediate appeal to the senses, or is more immediately satisfying to European ideas of proportion. It's hard to exaggerate what a profound reversal of prejudice and hierarchy this represented, along with Greece and Rome, Florence and Paris, now stood Nigeria. If you want an example of how things can change thought, then the impact of the Ife heads in 1939 are, I think, as good as you'll find. Current research suggests that the heads that we know were all made over quite a short stretch of time, possibly in the middle of the 15th century. At that point, Ife had for centuries been a leading political, economic and spiritual centre. It was a world of forest farming, dominated by cities that developed in the lands west of the River Niger. And it was river networks that connected Ife to the regional trade networks of West Africa and to the great routes that carried ivory and gold across the Sahara to the Mediterranean coast. In return came metals that would make the Ife heads. The world of the Mediterranean had provided not the artists, as Frobenius supposed, merely the raw materials. The forest cities were presided over by their senior ruler, the Orni of Ife. The Orni's role was not merely political, he also had a great range of spiritual and ritual duties, and the city of Ife has always been the leading religious centre of the Yoruba people. Still today there is an Orni who has high ceremonial status and moral authority, and whose headgear still echoes that of our sculpted head of about 700 years ago. Our head is almost certainly the portrait of an Orni, but it's not at all obvious how such a portrait would have been used. It was clearly not meant to stand on its own, so it might well have been mounted on a wooden body, and there's what looks like a nail hole at the neck that could have been used to attach it. It's been suggested that it might have been carried in processions, or that in certain ceremonies it could have stood in for an absent or even for a dead Orni. Around the mouth there are a series of small holes. Again, we can't be quite certain what these are for, but they were possibly used to attach a beaded veil that would hide the mouth and the lower part of the face. And we know that the Orni today still covers his face completely on some ritual occasions, a powerful marker of his distinct status as a person apart, not like other human beings. And astonishingly, our sculpture suggests this dual nature an Orni who is a man, and also something more. Ben Okri again. This is not just sculpting as a representation. I think it's really important to understand that. This is not just, this is what a certain person or a certain king looked like. This is more than that. This is kingship in its ritual aspect. This is kingship in its relationship with divinity. This is kingship in the relationship with the centrality of the myths of a tribe and of a people. This is kingship as embodiment of the mysterious power of a people. But there's a sense in which the Ife sculptures have also become embodiments of a whole continent, of a modern Africa confident in its ancient cultural traditions. Babatunde Lawal again. Of course, today, many Africans and Nigerians in particular are proud of their past. 
a past that was denigrated as being crude, primitive in the past. And then to realize that their ancestors were not as backward as it were, as they were portrayed, it was a double source of joy to them. This discovery you know, fueled a new kind of nationalism in them. They started walking tall, feeling proud of their past. And then contemporary artists now seek inspiration from this past to energize uh, their quest for identity in the global village that our world has become. The discovery of the art of Ife is, I think, a supreme example of a widespread cultural phenomenon that as we discover our past, so we discover ourselves. And more, to become what we want to be, we have to decide what we were. Like individuals, nations and states define and redefine themselves by revisiting their histories. In the next programme, we're going to be in China, where the interpretation of history has always been a central part of the political debate. We'll be at the same date as the Ife head and with an equally high-status object. But we'll be looking not at ritual bronze, but at sacred porcelain. You can see the object described in this programme close up on the A History of the World website, as well as hundreds of others from museums across the UK. And if you have an object with a history to tell, why not add it to our growing collection? Find all this at bbc.co.uk slash a history of the world. <laughs>